All right, well, grab your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, It is really good to be here today. Uh, I have had the pleasure over the last few weeks of visiting some of our uh, Three Strand Network churches, uh, preaching for our joint sermon series, Um, and it's always great to go and and sort of see all these people that we're united with and covenanted with. Um, It's a reminder of how God is working through all of these different churches um, that we have connection to. All that said, it is good to be home. Um, Hopefully you feel the same way, maybe you don't. But you got to hear from a few different pastors, Uh, got to know them hopefully a little bit, hear about how God was working in their churches. Um, It is good for us to focus on on what God is doing outside of here, Um, but it's it's good for us to get together and talk specifically about what all of this means for us. Um, And so we've organized this series to conclude with each of the pastors ending at their own churches, preaching at their own churches. Um, That gives us a chance to correct what the other guys said. But also to just apply this whole series. Uh, We're doing this series on church planting. We want to be able to apply it specifically to our church body. Um, And so the other guys kind of mentioned, this sermon that I'm preaching today is technically the first one of the series. So I'm kind of doing the the big picture um, uh, of of kind of uh, where church planting fits into uh, God's kingdom. Um, But just as a reminder, um, the reason why we're doing this this series is the pastors of Three Strand, we went on a retreat earlier this year, um, and in in prayer and time together, we um, just kind of felt that God uh, is calling us to be part of continuing to expand his kingdom to church planting, church plant, plant churches in this region. Um, that was something that was uh, part of the original um, uh, reason why we started the network. It was something that we did quite a bit in the beginning, but over the last few years, I don't know, some things have happened, um, and, and really our focus has been on a lot of other things. And so uh, we want to kind of step back and, and remind ourselves and start the conversation. Uh, we want to be talking about and, and praying about um, how God would have us um, be part of, of church planting in this area. So my sermon today is is titled Church Planting and God's Kingdom. Um, Our anchoring text is going to be Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to read that and then we'll go from there. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, So that's the Great Commission. You've probably heard it before. Um, The Great Commission acts as the, the call to share the gospel and spread God's news around the world. But today we're going to look at this text specifically um, as the key to ushering in the kingdom of God. Because the Great Commission is not just about making new believers. It's about the work that God is doing to bring about the fullness of his kingdom. Now that term, um, God's kingdom or kingdom of God, is a difficult one to design. There are plenty of very long books um, that are specifically about that. Uh, But but as as hard as it is to define, it is something we need to talk about. um, Because it's central to the message of Jesus. And we see this especially in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where we are today. Right? The, the gospel starts out with the John the Baptist. Right? He's sent to prepare the kingdom. What is the message that John the Baptist uh, taught? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, he then passes the torch to Jesus. Right? He says, may I um, uh, decrease so that he may increase. And we see Jesus with the same message in Matthew 4. 
It says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12, right? He's gathered his, his disciples. He sends them out. And the message that he gives them to bring out to the world is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in all of this, we get the message that the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. But then a little bit later in the gospel, um, we see Jesus talk about the kingdom as something that is to come, something that is in the future, uh, especially in the Olivet Discourse. That's in Matthew 24. Jesus says this, he says, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so Jesus makes it clear that there is a kingdom that is to come. And so in Matthew, if you you read it, um, you get the, the sense that the kingdom of God exists, and in another sense, it is something we are waiting for. Uh, for this reason, um, uh, we sometimes refer to the kingdom as already and not yet. It is to come, and yet it, it, it sorry, it is, and yet it is to come. Uh, another term that has been used to describe this, and this is your $5 word of the day, is inaugurated eschatology, right? Inaugurated meaning it has begun, eschatology being the, um, the study of the end, And so this is the idea that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. It has begun, but it will be completed at the end when he returns again. Uh, Theologian George Elton Ladd is one of the proponents of this, and he describes it this way. He says, The kingdom of God is the redemptive reign of God, dynamically active to establish his rule among men. This kingdom, which will appear as an apocalyptic act at the end of the age, has already come into human history in the person and mission of Jesus. To overcome evil, to deliver men from its power, and to bring them into the blessing of God's reign. Now I go over all of this because I want you to see that the message of the kingdom is central to Jesus' ministry. And it's important uh, for how we understand ourselves in relation to God's plan. Living in the already but not yet means that we are waiting. We are anticipating something that is to come. But also God has a kingdom purpose for us while we wait. So let's familiarize ourselves for just a minute with the concepts of the kingdom um, as God's word lays it out for us. The simplest way to understand the kingdom of God um, is to um, break it down into three parts, kind of God's people in God's place under God's rule. Um, This is basically the story of the Bible. The the story of the Bible is how God is going to get his people in his place under his rule. Um, And right at the beginning, we get a glimpse of this, right? In the garden, you have God's people, Adam and Eve, we have God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's present rule. It tells us he walked among them, and they, and they followed him, they obeyed him. Um, he led them in the beginning. And so the earth began as God's kingdom, but as Adam and Eve sinned, it separated them from God, and it, they were removed from the garden, and they went on to sort of follow their own idea of what was good, now that they knew that after eating the fruit. Now, this doesn't mean that God was not ruling over his creation. Still, of course, he was. God is sovereign. But that rule was no longer reflected perfectly on earth, right? On earth, we see a broken sense, um, a, a broken kingdom. Now, the next place that we get a clear glimpse of the kingdom is at Mount Sinai, right? So God has rescued his people from Egypt. He's brought them across the wilderness. He brings them to the foot of a mountain, and he stands or is on top of that mountain in the form of a great storm. He uses this opportunity then to remind his people of who he is and, and who they are, Uh, And he gives them the law. As he does this, God makes it clear that what he is doing here is is bringing his kingdom to earth in a localized form. 
And we see him declare this in Exodus 19, verse 5. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so at Mount Sinai, we have God's people, right? Israel, this this kingdom of priests, this holy nation. We have the place where they are all gathered. And we see that they are under God's present rule. He is the storm. He is there. And then also this is kind of reinforced by him giving them the law, saying this is what you shall follow. Now at that point in the law, God also gives them a way to kind of make this kingdom mobile, to take it with them. So it doesn't just stay at Sinai. He gives them directions to to build a tabernacle. Um, And in the tabernacle, you have God's presence and rule in the midst of the people. It goes with them wherever they are. God is always dwelling amongst them. They then carry this across the wilderness with them to the promised land, which becomes the new center of God's kingdom on earth. Even more than that, they establish a permanent Sinai or tabernacle in the form of the temple. Now, pretty soon after that, well, not pretty soon, but a little while after that, um, they move from being a God-ruled nation to having a king. Uh, We sort of talked about this at the Equip class on Wednesday. Um, They are still people whom God is present with and who exist under his law and who um, who he has chosen as his, but it sort of looks a little different. And we see having kings does not go well. Over time, um, the, the nation of Israel falls into shambles. The people are sent into captivity. The temple is destroyed. All is confused again. Um, and what's interesting is if you read through the prophets, you can see the people thought they were building the kingdom. They thought that they were building God's kingdom in Israel. And God says, no, 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 no. Um, but he also makes a promise. God continues to remind his people that there is a plan to establish his kingdom fully And it begins with the coming of a king. This is how he describes in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a well-known verse, usually read at Christmas. I'm not going to sing it. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the kingdom is coming, and what Isaiah tells us is it's coming as a child. Right? This child will bring the kingdom of God to earth. Now with all of that background, think about what it is when Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. What he's saying is, the king is here. And so as Jesus comes to earth, he comes to establish the kingdom of God. And as he gives his life, he does it to atone for the sins of his people, to purchase for himself a people. Jesus also makes it clear in his ministry that the way that he will rule his people and the place that they will experience the kingdom um, is in the church. This is how he says it in Matthew 16. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the name Peter, or Petra, means rock, and so Jesus is kind of doing a little wordplay here. Um, he says, on this rock I will build my church. 
So what is going to build the church? A lot of Christians through time have gotten this messed up a little bit. It's not Peter himself. What's going to build the church is the confession that Peter just gave. Jesus is pointing to Peter and saying, Peter, what you just said, that is the rock on which I will build my church. So just a few verses earlier. Jesus is asking them, like, who do people say that I am? And they're throwing all these things out. And then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Who do you say that I am? Asking his disciples. Peter speaks up because he always does. In Matthew 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's when Jesus says, that will build my church. That confession will build my church. And so Derek covered this in this series. That message has power. That message will change the hearts of people and draw them into a relationship with God. This is the gospel, that Jesus is Messiah. He is the king who was promised. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, his kingdom is now manifested in a new way through his church. And the church will be the power of God in the world, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's, that's big. That's not usually how we think of church. Now with this, Jesus then gives the keys of the kingdom, right, the authority of God to the church to bring his rule and his order to earth. And Ephesians 3.10 describes that. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may, might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And so what we see is God's people, right, Christians in God's place gathered together in the church under his present rule, his authority, and his revelation given to us. Peter then kind of ties all this up in a bow in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he connects the words of God in Exodus to the identity of those in the church today. He says, talking to Gentile Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we are a people who, has been set, who have been set apart by God as holy and have been called to be an active part of his kingdom. We are tasked with proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The very confession that God says has the power to build his church and defeat the powers of hell. And so we are to live this out as we await the final kingdom where God's rule will be, or sorry, his place will be universal and his rule will be all-encompassing, right? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Um, In the end, Jesus' place and his rule is everywhere. At the end, all who dwell in the world will be the people of God and they will all follow his leading perfectly. This kingdom come, right, the new heavens and the new earth, are described to us in Revelation 21. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see the thread? 
So that is what we are looking forward to, right? We are looking forward to this kingdom complete. But we live in this time in between where the kingdom has been established but is not yet fulfilled. We live with the assurance that the gospel provides everything that we need, that we have the power of God in the message of Jesus and with the promise of what is to come. And so we should both be praying for that end. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, while we also do our part to connect this world to the values and the orders of his kingdom. We do this every week, by the way, when we pray the Lord's Prayer together. In the words that Jesus taught, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So knowing where this whole story is leading, we should all do our small part to connect the will of God to the world that we live in. And with that very long description, that very long intro, um, let's look at the Great Commission, the way that God summarizes what that looks like, how we should be applying um, our time and energy in this time in between. First thing he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, And so this is Jesus assuring his disciples that the power that he is giving them is his to give. Now his disciples know that he has authority. They've been following him around. They've heard his teaching. They've seen him heal. Um, They know and have seen that he is not just a normal person. But he reconfirms his authority here because he's about to make a statement about power. He's about to tell them the way God's kingdom is going to be manifested is through them. And so he assures them that this sending is being done with authority. Now that's important. Because there's a lot of people telling us to do a lot of things in this world. There are a lot of voices who say this is who you should be, this is how you should act, this is what you should care about, this is how you should live, and here's the good news, you don't have to listen to almost any of them, right? It's really loud, but you can, you can ignore the majority of it. But when the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth gives us guidance, we better listen. Not only because he has the wisdom and the foresight to give us good direction, but because of his, his imperatives have an authoritative power. That is to say, he is doing his work in the world. It will be done. And we are invited to be part of it. It's not like, We get to choose and maybe this will happen. He has said, this is how things are going to go down. And church, you can be with me on this. So what is it he wants us to do? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, Now at the point that he gives this direction, Christianity does not have a very large footprint. right? It really consists of a very small group of people in the, the area surrounding Jerusalem. And so the go is the encouragement to take this gospel message out from the central point to the rest of the world. Uh, We see a similar call in Acts chapter 1. Great story. I'm going to read it. Verses 6 through 11 says this. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, And so this discussion begins with a question about the kingdom. 
Right? They, they knew what he had promised. They knew that Jesus was talking about the establishment of a kingdom. And so they're like, okay, is now the time? Is that what we're doing now? Right? You died, you raised, let's go. Is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think Jesus' answer is one that we still need to hear today. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And I say that's important right now because anytime things kind of fire up in the Middle East, all of a sudden people start getting out charts and graphs and calendars and, and it, gets, it gets weird. All right? What Jesus is saying is that part of things is not what is most important. That's a distraction that gets our eyes off of what it is we're supposed to be doing. We have the promise. It will happen. He says it. it it's going to happen. But that's not what you need to focus on. What you need to focus on is what I have called you to do. And so after Jesus tells them that the ages is not of their concern, he tells them what is. He says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will have God's presence with you. And you will now become witnesses of the kingdom. You are to take this message, that message of power that I have given to you, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, it basically says he finished talking. And I I always think like he kind of trails off. It's kind of like a mic drop, right? He's just kind of talking and he starts going. Um, And he ascends up into heaven. And this is always my favorite part because I think of it like uh, kids when they they have balloons at a party. And one of the kids is like, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. And they let it go and all the kids just watch it. Right? And they're like, I think I still see it. I imagine that's what they're doing because it's like Jesus just, he doesn't say like, okay, here guys, here's what I'm going to do. Like he just goes and then they're like, uh, is he coming back? <laughs> right? So they're just like watching into heaven and it's to the point where somebody has to come and snap them out of it. Right? Two angels come like, <laughs> men of Galilee, stop staring at the heavens. You got work to do here. And so... They, 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 they kind of shock everything back into place and they say, this is what your mission is, is you are to take this message um, so that the kingdom of God will be fulfilled. And then this is what they do. The rest of the book of Acts is basically the story of how they did this. How, how the gospel went from being this thing that, or Christianity went from being this thing that was very small and very localized into being something that was all over the world. And the fact that 2,000 years later on the other side of the world we are here um, is, is just a testimony to how well this whole process went. Um, but the call to take the message of the gospel and to make disciples is not just one of geographical expanse. It's also about getting the truth of God into all the corners of our society, right? And so you are all equipped with the gospel and you should be taking it to your neighbors and your family and your co-workers. The church should be continuing to bring this to the nations through missions, but we should also be working to figure out how do we get this into all of the parts of the place where we live, And one of the best ways to reach the unchurched and disciple more people is to plant churches. Recent studies have shown that the average new church gains most of its new members, 60 to 80%, from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body at that time. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members by transfer from other congregations. This means that the average new congregation will bring six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. And so one of the main reasons, one of the reasons anyway, to plant churches is because it is an effective way to go and make disciples. It's one of the best ways to follow the call that we have. It's what we have modeled in Acts, and it's still the most effective way to accomplish the task that Jesus gave. 
The rest of the commission then builds on this. Jesus goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we baptize someone, we're, we're, we're pointing to the salvific work of God on their life. But we're also baptizing them into the church. We see this in Acts chapter 2. Um, as the story goes on, right, Jesus goes up into heaven. Um, they're sent, sent out. They go to Jerusalem. They're sitting in an upper room kind of nervous. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then Peter comes out, and he preaches a really great sermon. But let's not get lost on how great the sermon is. It's the Holy Spirit's work that changes hearts. And so on the other side of this convicting sermon, as he declares Jesus the Messiah, it says this. This is in Acts 2.37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, I love that, he said other stuff, Um, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So as they heard the truth, they were changed. They repented of their sin. They, They placed their full and complete hope in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it says those who received this were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? The church. As we read earlier in 1 Peter 2, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. It is the, the church collective that now has added 3,000 souls. And so as God puts his sign and his seal on people in baptism, they become part of the church. And this is the starting point for making disciples. Now, I would say too often evangelicals put all the focus on making believers, getting people to raise hands, getting them baptized. But to make disciples takes much more than initial belief in baptism. To be formed as a disciple is going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to take other people. We need the starting point. But people are baptized into the church so that they have a people to walk with them through the work of becoming a disciple. And one of the best ways to assure that people are going to be part of the church community is to have a lot of churches for them to choose from. A lot of places where people can join and be discipled, churches with different styles and ways about them. I know Derek talked a little bit about this too. As a church, we don't want to have a style necessarily, but we do because we're people. Um, And so it's not a bad thing to have places that simply have a different flavor that is going to attract and be a home for someone else. Churches, uh, sorry, people are looking for, okay. I'll just say this is is a big part of how God called me into church planning personally. Um, I was serving, I don't know how many of you know this story, I was serving another church down south. Um, but I happened at that point in my life to be in Mount Vernon one afternoon a week for child coordination purposes. That's another story. Um, and I would come up here and I would basically go and spend my time working at a coffee shop on my computer. So I would go and I would sit while my kids were doing something else. Um, and as I did this, I continued to run into people that I knew um, from this community. I grew up here. I went to high school here. So I'd run into kids I knew from high school. Um, I'd run into people that I just kind of knew. Um, and... Um, over and over again, as I talked to them, they were not going to church anywhere. Like, yeah, I did this, tried this. 
And so the call that God put on my heart was based on the fact that there was this group of people who were his, whether they knew it or not, um, who needed a church family to be part of. Right? So my call to planting was not because I thought that I would do it better or, or that I could preach or lead better than any other person. I'm far too self-aware for that. Um, it was based on believing that God had people who needed a church family, and I happened to be the person who knew them and could get them connected to a church. That really was the main reason why I sort of felt like, oh no, this has to be me. Okay? And with this... Um, we see there are things that a church plant can do that older churches can't. Uh, new churches, uh, congregations, our new congregations empower new people much more quickly and readily than older churches. Uh, for this reason, younger adults have always been disproportionately found in newer congregations. Um, and just, like, just like, let's think about what that means for a second. It means that as churches grow older and become more established, they lose the ability to reach certain people. Um, they become a bit more fixed in their ways. They become a bit more rigid. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is. Um, and so all of a sudden, there's this whole group of people who are not reached if we just kind of continue on and continue to build the churches that are already there. Um, and the answer to kind of fixing this is not a, a program, uh, but continually establishing new churches that play this role in the kingdom. I think the beauty of this is we don't have to engineer or come up with a solution. Um, it's already there. It's already been given to us. If we continue to do what God has called us to do, we will continue to raise up new people who are bringing new people in, raise up new people who are bringing new people in, and we'll just, this cycle will just continue. So this requires, though, the participation of older, more established churches, which is what the next part of the Great Commission sort of points to. Next part of the Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Um, to do the work of making disciples then requires time and teaching. Right? It's the work of pastors to preach, the mature believers to, to mentor the younger believers, a community of people to support one another through the difficult times, reminding one another um, of God's truth in the midst of doubt. But there's also the role of the young, especially the young in the faith, um, to, to bring energy. So the young bring energy, but they also need the example and relationship of those who have been faithful over time. And we see this described in the Bible. That's Titus 2. Um, also, when the Bible is described as a body, um, right, the, a body where every part has its function, every part is needed. Um, it's a reminder to us that this is not a machine. This cannot be engineered. Um, the body mentality is a posture that we have towards one another. And so I reiterate with both Patrick and Derek has said in this series um, that this idea of, of kind of body life applies not only to individual churches, but also um, to um, sort of the church community as a whole. We need different sort of churches playing different parts to reach different people. Now the job of each person in the church and every church towards one another is to serve and to help grow. It is ultimately to set aside our self-centeredness to learn and care for others and to care for God's kingdom above all. The Bible tells us over and over again, we should not waste our time building our own little kingdoms where moth and rust destroy, but we should be asking what role we play in God's larger kingdom. Likewise, we should not be focused only on building a communion church, um, but communion church gets to play a part in what God is doing to teach all that he has commanded to whoever we come into contact with. And so to plant churches is to create more bodies and communities where this is happening. To do this effectively requires established churches coming alongside these new outposts of God's kingdom. 
and the benefit flows both ways. As I said, there's an energy of the young that empowers and excites the older. The wisdom of the older helps um, temper the passions of the new. The older have the benefit of time. The younger tend to have an urgency of the present. The church needs both. And the two parts need to recognize the benefit of the other. Now, I'd say we're in an interesting place as a church because we were a church plant. We benefited quite a bit from older established churches that invested in us. A lot of you weren't here for that, so you you kind of missed how amazing it was that we had a church that sent us out, who oversaw us, who helped fund us. Numerous churches within Three Strand that helped kind of give us the seed money to start going. Um, We were the energy and the excitement. And we benefited from the encouragement and support of the churches that had more resources. Um, But my, how the tables have turned. Now, now we are the ones. We've been around a little bit longer. We're obviously not a, we're not rolling in it, but we, we, we have some resources now that we can invest and give stability to a church plant. Um, so we are more of a sending church now, a church that can play the role of coming alongside um, someone who is getting something new started. All right, there's one more part of the Great Commission. This is how Jesus ends. He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, So in the same way that there's a statement of authority at the beginning, um, given to provide confidence and power, this promise at the end uh, gives both a motivation and a reason not to fear. Jesus points to the end of the age. Jesus points to the final coming of the kingdom. He reminds them of where this is all going. This is an assurance that all life and all that we experience is headed towards glory. And with that in mind, all that matters in the present is what is going to be part of and contribute to that kingdom. And as we do this work, we are assured here that it is the strength of Jesus that is going to carry us all through. We need not worry because he is with us. He will build his church, he said in Matthew 16. This gives us the freedom to take risks and to do things like church planning that will be costly, that will be difficult, that sometimes we're like, but I like it here, right? We look out and we go, there's something bigger than what I like or what I'm comfortable with. And when it's challenging and it's costly and we don't know where it's going, the one thing that we can be sure of is that he is with us to the very end of the age. Let me just say, as we have prayed about this and talked about this as a network... I just want to re- kind of reconfirm. We have no idea what any of this means. Um, it's not like we have someone over here like, okay, now we're going to bring Johnny up. Uh, here's the plan. We really don't know kind of what is next, what God has for us. This is just us saying we really see that this is the need and we see that God has put us in a place. And so we are praying like crazy to say, let's be ready. Let's be ready for when God acts. Let's be thinking about church planning. Let's see how it fits into his kingdom so that when the opportunity does arise, we are ready and we are excited. Um, Because otherwise, I think, when it comes up, everyone's like, right? So let's have this conversation. Let's get it going. If you have issues, if you have questions, bring them to us. Go, I don't know about this thing. You say, great, let's work through it so that we are ready to play the part that I believe that God has for us. All right, he will be with us to the very end. We reconfirm this promise every week uh, when we come here uh, because as you go through life, as you face all of the things that you face, um, we need to be sure, we need to be comforted, we need to know that Jesus is with us to the very end. Um, And so every week when we come here, we are reminded of that as we take communion together. Um, And as Jesus gave this to his disciples, he gave it to be the strength that carried them along. 
an extension of I will be with you. But it's also a constant reminder that there is an end of the age. That he will come again. That this plan is going somewhere. It has an end. It's not just about our little lives here and now. And so I'm going to pray and then we will partake together in the body and blood of our Savior. And as you come forward to the table today, remember that we have a king. We belong to a kingdom. And God has empowered us to be part of what he is doing to bring, to bring his kingdom to bear on his creation. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much again for uh, just making us your people. Uh, once we were not a people of mercy, but now we are a people of mercy. Once we were not your people, but now we are your people. We thank you that that is a reality. That we don't have to worry about just our strength and our, our wisdom, but that we can lean on you, that we can be sure that you are with us to the very end of the age. God, with that, I pray that you would, would shift our priorities, that you would help us to see that not only does this give us a strength to do what we want to do, but, but God, that you have called us to something greater. Help us to see our part in your larger kingdom so that we may... Um, both experience the benefit of obedience, but also that we can be a blessing to your world. God, help us. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.